Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me as usual, Neil Orfield, Player Q DFS on Twitter, and uh, the host of the High Stakes DFS podcast on awesomeo.com. You recently had uh, you had you had Brian Jester on. I had Brian Jester on. That yeah. you had Brian Jester on. He's making the rounds after uh, after crushing it in MMA. Although this past weekend, uh, when an 81-way max salary dupe wins, uh, just you just chalk it up and you go, not going to be me. Yeah, wasn't going to happen. That was a not not a fun one. It was. I mean, for for me at least, most of my lineups were dead after the second fight. I had six remaining at that point, which was actually I think you know that's a decent number to have uh, with. with the first two fights having two fighters that are almost certainly going to be in the optimal, putting up 142 and 121 at their salaries. I was, uh, but I had six left, and then a couple fights later, I had zero left. I assume, did, did you have any with a fighting chance at the end? Uh, not after uh, Omar Morales uh, got knocked out by Medic because I had way more of him than Medic. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I'll, and then really, it came down to if, uh, if Parker, if uh, Parker Porter could have survived 15 more seconds against Almeida, or if uh, Todorovic could have lasted and not got knocked out in the the last like 20 seconds of round one against Chidi, because he was 55 percent owned or whatever, and Almeida was almost 60 percent owned. Uh like I didn't my, at the lineups that I had running were lineups that like. Like Hooper was one of the highest on underdogs, and he had 142. So obviously, my lineups with Hooper and Hughes, I'm probably not playing Cheedy or Jelton Almeida. So it's kind of like, like, well, my lineups also don't have Par- Porter and Todorovic. So it's like, if they get second round stop- stoppages, if they get 95, I I could 95 to 100 points for for either of them. Like it's possible that they're not optimal and it's still fine for me or whatever and uh yeah and they couldn't survive and uh yeah because most of my lineups if they had hooper or hughes had one of those three of of almeida chidi and johani or whatever his name is and holmes Mm -hmm. but not all of them because i purposely am excluding those combinations because they're duped too much Did, did you limit yourself to just one of those three uh, in most, in, in, in at two at max, but it really depended on all the other okay. combinations. Cause I go through, I do a manual process for duplication. Like I, I just go through and calculate, uh, dupes of, of specific fighters. Mm-hmm. So like the two highest, ex- most expensive fighters, how many, how many combinations of the other four fighters can there be in a lineup without stacking? And then I do with three of them. So like the top two and then the next one and then the next one and the next one. And once I start, when I start seeing uh, anything over 20 as the average duplication, I just start eliminating them. And then I start okay. getting combinations that are lower and lower. And then I also have a list of uh, of combinations that are duped at certain salary ranges. So for instance, it's quite possible that like, the average duplication is 15, but it's more geared towards 49.5 and above, you know, but there are combinations of, you know, 49.1, 48.9, 49.2 that 
that could be possibly unique or at least under five that yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll separate them out into like a separate build. So I've like, I've, I'll go through a build where I leave my max salary at 50, at, at 50 K and then I'll have a build where I leave my max salary at 49, five, one at 49,000 and then kind of like merge several lineups together. If on an 11 fight slate, if this is a 15 fight card, I don't bother doing that because mm-hmm. you could still find enough, enough under fives, even with some of like, Oh, I put in these three fighters, do the dupe calculation and go, yeah, many, many of these are duped, but I know exactly what combination they are. And I just group out, you know, this combination with that guy, this combination with this woman, this combination with that. And then don't, as long as I don't do that, my average duplication comes now, you know, four to six range. And then it's like, Um, looking at your lineups, I see. So you had 106 lineups in the, the biggest field tournament and, only six of them used above 49.5 salary. Right. And those were my six uh, single entry three max lineups. Okay. So, so everything basically else I played a hundred lineups them. as my MME set. And then I had six single entry qualifier three max type of lineups. Hence why I don't mind I'm, if I'm playing in fields that are 200 or less, like I'm most likely going to be playing a lineup that's maybe 49.5 or above. Yeah. But in, in in the large field, you went you left Sarah, which which is also made uh, made me feel better about my lineups because that was a, a stand that I took. Just looking at the Vegas lines, I didn't. There was only really one fight where there was a really heavy favorite. Mm-hmm. Looked like most of the fights were relatively close, so I thought it was a good fight uh, to leave some salary on the table. So I set my I set my salary cap at forty nine six hundred, I believe. So I didn't I didn't you know really go low, but I set a little bit just to get a little bit more unique. I have one that's above that, which was my hand-built lineup. Uh, but other than that, everything was 49,600 or below um, just because I thought it seemed like a good day. And again, I, I spent half an hour on my lineup, so I, I didn't do a whole lot with them, but I was just, how can I make what look like uh, looks like a good lineup set in the limited amount of time I had before I was going to an art fair on Saturday? So I was... Uh, yeah, I set I set a little salary cap, which seemed reasonable given the Vegas odds on most of the fights being relatively close. Uh, I used the awesome uh, likelihood of getting to 100 plus fantasy points to set kind of exposure limits on different players, uh, on different fighters, and then I set uh, max two of the three chalkiest fighters because it seemed like there was kind of a cutoff after Holly Holm. Although I think she came in maybe a little bit lower owned than she was expected. I think she came right. in at 37, 34 to 37. I, that, okay. And that's what I expected. I she was gonna, that, that, okay. That, that is about where she came. I thought she was going to be 40 something. Um, so, but yeah, I, that, that's kind of all I did. I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time. Then I did, you know, two, two uniques so that I, I wouldn't have, you know, each lineup one off the other to get a little bit different, but I don't know. I thought my lineup seemed fine based on the, uh, the, Sports, no, what's the, the website I've been using for checking dupes? Or, Sports-projections.com. Or no, it, it's not that website. I do use that website too. Uh, it's the, the website I've been telling you about. The guy in my DM sent me his his website, which is a similar kind of name, but he calculates EV based on simulations. Without, oh, the DFSSweat.com. Yeah, DFS Sweat. Sweat yeah, based right. on that, my lineups, I did have a positive EV uh, lineup set, which I don't always in MMA. So that was... Uh, yeah, but that's according to yeah. that, that simulations. And- exactly. That's according to his simulations. And yeah, Brian and I talked about that uh, mm-hmm. on the High Stakes podcast that when he was a guest that his lineups always do poorly according to the simulations. And then, of course, he's killing it. So uh, who knows? Who knows what to make of that? 
Well, I mean, your 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 salary, I mean, distribution was fine. I mean, I'm looking at uh, the each salary limit, 50,000, 49,9, 49,8. $49, so like at 50,000 in this large field MMA contest, the unique percentage was 2%. So there's only 2% of liners that were unique at 50,000. Under 5, 9%. So if you go down to 49.9, under 5 is 19%. Then 27% for 49.8, 33% for 49.7, 42% for 49.6, and 56% for 49.5. 7% over 20. You don't get down to 0% over 20 until 49.3. But still, like even at 49.5, like 56% of the liners were under fives, which for an 11 fight card, that's what I'm gearing towards. Yeah. 15 fight card, 14 fight card, I'm gearing more, may, way more towards uniques yeah. than an 11 fight card. But I mean, you also, there are some lineups that you, you have to realize there are some lineups at 49.4. If I go to the most duplicated lineups, like for instance, most duplicated lineup was uh, 191 times, 50K. But there was a lineup at 49.6, duplicated 130 times. Wow. Right? So, like, like a lot of these are 50K lineups. 49.9 lineup, 49.9, 50,000. Let's look for the next. There's a 49.8 lineup duped 64 times. Another one duped 60 times. But if we keep on 49.7 lineup, do 48 times, 44 times. Like there are, here's a 49.4 lineup duped 42 times, right? Because it depends on the yeah. combination of fighters because this is the lineup. Almeida, Chidi, uh, Pagliano, Viera, Viana, Ponzinibbio, Medic, Hooper. Like all these fighters are like 30, 30%, like Ponzinibbio was the, the lowest owned fighter, but like just that combination of a 55, 55, 28, 31, 35. Yep. Like you're, there's not many combinations of that, that wouldn't be duplicated a bunch of times. So that's why, like, that's why I, I, I spend four hours on Saturday yeah. on my lineups. And, and Brian does too. It, se it seems like MMA, you definitely can gain an advantage by doing that. I mean, just listening to what you do with your process, looking at each individual combo of lineups that makes a lot of sense to to actually look at like what is possible here what what is the likelihood that i'm going to get unique if i have you know these two or three fighters in the lineup uh it definitely seems worthwhile to spend your time in mma right and i'm, I'm going to be working on I, i'm going to be going to las vegas for the next eight days i just saw that yeah so so cool. no dfs for me uh but in june and july i'm going to be working on uh a little bit more efficiency on my combination calculate like i i want to be able it, I, it doesn't have to be like perfect it doesn't have to be I, I i want to try to avoid like having to scrape anything i want to avoid xml documents i want to avoid all that type of stuff and lining shit up uh and using vlookups as little as possible because shit breaks all the time naming conventions and er anything like that i just want to be able to put in here are the fighters on the slate. So I could just simply copy and paste the fighters and their prices and who their opponent is. So obviously, so you don't have combinations that include the opponent in it and mm -hmm. then be able to have almost a sheet that has a, has a, has a combination chart of like, mm -hmm. like for, for, for like this slate, it would be like, it would show, uh, 
Almeida, uh, home, XXX, which is fighter, 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 fighter. And then show me how much, you know, what's the size of the contest, right? I could put that in. That could be a manual input, you know, 31,000, whatever like that. And the ownerships of all the, of all the fighters and go average duplication, an average duplication in each sal at each salary point. So 50, like something like that. And then give me maybe Almeida, home, Cheaty, XXX, right? And, it, and all it does is auto-generate that. So I, all I have to do is put it in and press, you know, button. And it just, give me a sheet that has, do, 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 and then I could, yeah. then I could just sort by, by that. Cause that's what I would be doing manually. So it doesn't have to be like, create all the possible lineups. And then I, like, I, instead of having to do all that, it just, give me the 22 fighters on the slate, their opponents, their, their, their ownerships. And then just show me here, here's, Here's all the combinations of these three fighters, these four fighters, these two fighters, these stuff like that. So I could just simply go sort by like average duplication and then just store like the average duplication of the, the these five, these four fighters and these two slots left is 107. So it's like, okay, these four fighters, I don't want all four of them in a lineup. And then I could look and go do three of them add up too much. And then I could say no more than two of those fighters. And then like, it just, it just, uh, speeds up my own manual process of literally typing the, you know, just give me what, what, what two fighters and what's their ownership. And I have a little calculator for that. Right. But then I have to do like all the combine. I have to do all the combine. I go A, B, C, A, B, D, A, B, E, A, B, F. And then constantly just, okay, that's good. That's no good. That's right. Because once I got down to like Elise Reed, like she was low owned enough that I could do A, B, Elise Reed. And then the rest of the lineup was, was fine. But then I also have to go by salary. So I have to do that again, two or three times. Uh, I think there's, there's a more automated way for me to at least have that all calculated for me. I assume you're doing this in Excel then? Yes. That's that's all I. That's, that's really all you do, right? Right. That's all. That's all I. I do simple. They're very simple formulas. Excel, whatever. Put in. Give me the combinations. Give me the. You know, just that's that's it. Because I run the. What's what I do with the combinations? I run the combinations in the lineup HQ. Okay. Yep. So basically, I put in three hundred max, and then obviously one unique player, any salary possible, and then these four fighters. Give me, give me lineups. And obviously it's not going to get to 300. It's going to get to a certain point and there's no more lineup. So then I could go, give me, give me these three fighters and that's it. And then it comes out and then it stops at 56. So I'm like, okay, there's 56 combinations of these versus the contest size. And give me the, okay, what's the duplication factor? Right. And that's, yeah, that's it. So I'm more, I'm, I'm more likely, like if I take a look at my, uh, user, uh, inspection over here for my lineups like other than my other than my one two three four five okay my single entry three max lineups one was duped 137 times okay uh and that happened to that happened that actually was my small field 400 mma qualifier lineup so that makes sense i was playing in a 31 man contest yeah uh so yeah and then the, the other ones were 30, 16, 12, and 9. 
because all my other lineups were 49.5 and below, so I could easily see it right here. So out of all the other lineups that weren't those, my most duped was 13, 12, 10, 9, 8, and then I ended up with uh, like 86 or something under fives and not many uniques, like 16 uniques. Yeah. Which is, it's tough on a slate like this, unless you're leaving like 2,000 on the table. Right. But like in comparison to yours, like NC or field, let's see. Yeah, you had a bunch of lineup 36, 33, right? 36 times, even though 49.4 salary. Like you have, yeah. you have some of these lineups that are, like in your first page of 10 on the screen, you have lineups that are 49-4 to 49-6. Duplication, 36, 33, 28, 26, 24, 24, 23, 22, 16, 16. Like I'm already down in the single digits by that point. And it's primarily because of these combinations. Like like this top one, this 36, you got Almeida, Chidi, Holmes, and Hooper, and Medich, yep. and Vieira. I mean, like, like, dude, you have like, yeah, it leaves 600 on the table, but you have, what, 250-plus percent on fighters, 36, 35, 31, and 28 or so. Like, like, like this combination I've already weeded out. Like, like yeah. this Almeida-Chidi-Holmes combination, like, I would I automatically did not have three of them in a line. Like, they were at max. Ultimately, two. ultimately though, this is, I mean, these are loss leaders, right? I only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, I have eight with... 20 or more, which is, which is kind of a high number, but right. for the most part, if I, if when I was looking at my numbers, I'm like, I'm pretty happy with my number of uniques or, you know, under five, no, under three. fives, you're good. Yeah. You, you have a, yeah, my under fives right. are pretty good. So, right. Well, that, that's the way that I used to like Neil, like my progression in MMA was more of your type yeah, of attitude of, kind of what I'm doing now. And you've just advanced since right. Then. That it's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to make 150 lineups. And I know that 30 of them are garbage, yeah. right? Not garbage, but just like too, too duped. I mean, they're pretty and that's just the cost of doing business, right? Right. And then I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaking. It's this is too much of a leak to have twenty uh, percent of my lineups be, you know, twenty plus, thirty plus dupes on an on a 11, 12, 13 game, thirteen fight card. That's like right. how do? What's the common ground between these lineups? And I just started seeing the common ground of the combinations. Like, okay, if I could figure out the combinations. And you, yeah. Brian said this on, I mean, on your podcast of that's his first part of his process of figuring out what not to do. Yeah. Right. Find oh, the yeah. combinations that are going to be most used and then scrap them. And it, it is a pretty big leak to have this, this number of lineups that are just like, you can't win significant money with anything that's, you know, over 20 lineups. So those are basically dead lineups in terms of making big money or really anything over 10 I don't know. It seems easy enough to to shore up that leak. So it does make sense, I think, to spend the time to plug those leaks when you are getting to this number of lineups that have, you know, 10 plus, 10 plus dupes is, you know, you're just not going to win that much money. Right. The, the top uh, unique guy was Daladino at 115. His average salary was 48.4. Oh, so obviously, wow. like Brian Jester, average salary 48.8, 89 uniques, 147 under fives. Understand that on a slate where where an eighty one way dupe fifty k wins first, all these guys take a bath. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, we, I we mean, talked about Aldino on on my show as well. Brian named him among the best MMA DFS players. Uh, he he mentioned that Daladino really thrives in the chaos as well. So I think they have they have similar playing styles. Yeah, I, I was looking at uh, Brian was seemed to be leaving a ton of salary on the table. So he seems to be playing it a little bit more like NFL Showdown. Right. Like my style is much more like uh, need lunch money. Mm-hmm. And I know he also mentioned Jay Z Rucker on the podcast. Yep. I I yep. ta- I talked to him in discord so like typically our lineups look very so i mean he he's 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 much more willing to go for the uniques than the under fives but very very similar process to mine but need lunch money so for instance on this past slate 150 lineups uh 120 under fives 45 uniques average salary 49.5 so like i look at like uh n van hair very similar sean zan very similar. A lot of 150 lineups, 127 unique, 127 under fives, 42 uniques, average salary 49.4. And Sean Zan is very similar to that. Yeah. Right? So I like Dark Mana look, very similar to that also. Brick was very similar. ET Phone Hone was very similar. Right? Where the out of the lineups, the percent of under fives is very high, but mm-hmm. the uniques is not that high. So a lot, a lot of lineups were you're duping with two, three, four rather right. than one, especially when it's an 11 fight card. So it's like, these are the, these are the guys. Now, someone like mock Lovin, on the other hand, 150 lineups, 154 under fives, 21 uniques. So it's like that. Maybe not that, the best sport at this point. Right. I, I try to avoid, I try to avoid that. He's much more likely just jam projections and whatever it is, it, it is yep. type of thing. So like I like looking through and seeing this. So I see mine 106 entries, 89 under five, 16 unique. So like that ratio, 84 to 84 percent under fives, 15 percent unique, is very similar. Need lunch money, 80 percent under five, 30 percent unique. 85 percent under five, 28 percent. 88, 28. Like that's N Van Hare and Sean Zan and Need Lunch Money and and Brick even. Kind of like I'm looking for like that for at yeah. least these types of slates, at least for right. smaller cards. Uh, 15, 15 fight card, you probably want more uniques, more under fives. Right. Well, you're going to naturally get more under fives, but I'm saying I'm not up. I'm not purposely prioritizing uniqueness compared to under five on a 15 fight card. I'd be more inclined to. I There are much, many more uniques to find, so why not get them? And you may not need to get uniques at 47.7, right? I could find uniques at 49.7. I could find uniques at, 50, dude, there are 50K salary uniques even on a 15 fight card. So it's yeah. like, I'd rather find those than automatically leave 1,500 on the table and just go, I'm going to take those uniques only because then you get you get so burned if common construction that are slightly off, a solo winner will win with 49.9. And you'll be like, well, why didn't I get that lineup? It's like, yeah, because you just, you just, even though there aren't as many unique lineups up there, there are still, if you could find them, they actually have a much higher win probability because obviously right. salary is related to win percentage because that's yeah. how the the fighters are, fi- are at least priced. So it's like, so I, st- I study more of those types of players. And while... Brian is much more hardcore and and what he said what he said on on the show I thought he said two things on the show that I thought were were excellent uh that 
he has macro strategies for sports. Yep. And and a lot, I have macro strategies for sport. Like I have the same concept, but I I'm a little bit more micro. So like a macro strategy requires a lot. Bad players can't have a macro strategy because they live too much in the single slate mindset. Of sure. What's going to win on this slate? I don't care about anything. You know, I care about the Chiefs Buck showdown. What's going to win this time? Brian's the type of person where it's like, I just want to play sub 3% owned players in every lineup I play for the entire season of showdown. Yeah. And I know that there are going to be two or three slates a season that are going to have one of those guys is going to put up a good a score where they're going to have a lot of unique lineups like that. That if I just play, if I play 51 slates, 55 slates, hopefully on those two, three, four slates, I get a unique winner and yep. win 100,000, 200,000, 500,000, whatever it is, and not worry. And, and so he doesn't have to go into slates going, uh, well, is this the type of slate to play a 3% on player or are these play, like just, nope, I'm playing my macro strategy. A lot of yeah. times he plays for low scoring games, chaos games where correlations won't even matter anymore. And he's just like, doesn't matter that the total's 57. It doesn't matter that, that this running, this backup running back that's now starting is 2,700 and he should be 7,000. Like I'm just treating this like any other slate and he knows that he's plus EV no matter no matter what the exact maybe for this late technically he should be doing something different right. but he has a much more long term perspective on that. Well, that that's that's how I play NFL Showdown too. I mean I think NFL Showdown is the easiest one to just take a macro perspective of yeah I'm going to play lineups that are clearly not optimal. I, I do the same thing as Brad. I play a lot of, I go way overweight on the guys who are really low owned on showdown just because weird things happen in NFL. And yeah, it works out over the long, the over the course of the season, even though most slates are dead because those guys put up zero. Right. It's very similar to MLB. I mean, like to me, my macro strategy is that like, I have no problem. It's, uh, my macro strategy on the smaller slates, especially mm -hmm. is, who, what's the, what's the thirty percent on stack and just x them out and it's like yeah if I just if I consistently do this I'm gonna lose most of the time but it's plus EV when you it's a five game slate and there's a there there's a team that has three percent on batters why why aren't I why why not why not stack yeah. against Corbin Burns yeah like why Am I doing it in all my lineups? No, but I'm just saying in general or on a larger slate, like we have a 10 game MLB slate and you have two teams that are wildly owned, right? There's the Coors game and the Yankees are facing God knows who and they're too underpriced on DraftKings, right? They Aaron Judge is 5,200 for no reason, right? Then the uh, get, get, get cheap stack there and they're facing who knows what in the, in the Wrigley win game or whatever the hell happens to be. And I'll just go, Okay, I'm playing 100 lineups. I'm going to play 100 lineups and hope nothing happens. Nothing happens enough in these games that that if they fail, I don't know who's going to be who's going to do well, but I want 100 combinations of everyone else. Yeah. And then yeah. when the, when mean, the chalk team goes off, then so be it. But I mean, and they have to really go off. It's not like it's like oh, they put up six runs. It's like no, they have to really go off on a 10 plus 
MLB slate, but it's like when people ask sometimes, they'll go, uh, so who'd you, pl- who'd you play? What were your top stacks? And I go, pretty much everyone else and just not the Dodgers and the, and the Astros or whatever the two I, chalk teams are. So I think that I take a uh, a lesser, less strong stand than you and Brian do maybe in mm-hmm. terms of in, in MLB. What, what you're describing in MLB, I usually won't full fade the 30% owned team, but I might play you know, eight or 10% of them uh, in full stacks. And I also, or, or sometimes I do full fade them as my primary stack, but then I'll still allow those batters to be my secondary stack or my one-offs uh, just because you, but I have thought about taking a stronger stance of just, well, if the Mets are going to be 30% owned in Coors Field and it's a five game slate, why not just full fade the entire game? And like you said, all you're really fading is, uh, like a multi-home run game from one of those guys or the game going completely off. Like otherwise you can generally survive it. If, if there's a, a couple solo home runs, that's really not the end of the world in that kind of game. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. But for, I'm, I'm looking from a macro perspective of yeah. like, instead of me determining like, yes, you're building lineups that are plus EV. So like you're going, okay, I have enough leverage in the lineup. I'm playing a low owned SP two. I'm playing a five man stack. That's 5% owned. Yeah. I could play, 28% on Byron Buxton in the lineup. I could play 32. You could. They're the highest projected player. Absolutely perfectly fine. But for me, like, to me, that's, that, that that's, there's other plus EV lineups that are higher, larger standard deviation. But my macro strategy for the entire baseball season is to just, I know it's plus EV to do what I'm doing. I yeah. don't know what slate, the combination of two other teams that aren't those teams that go off. So why am I making the determination well, this I could play a three-man Dodger stack. It's like, no, I just want, I just want, to, I want single-digit own guys on a ten-game slate where there's two or three teams that are 15, 20, 25 percent on. It's just whatever, just, just, yeah. Just, so I don't have to think like what what Brian's point is is that you don't have to think. You don't have to go into the slate going when is the exception. It's like there are no right. exceptions. It's just that's yep. that's how you play it. Yep. No, I think I think it's a it was a really sharp point as well, and it's something that you know I think a lot of people do without really uh, necessarily naming it, or a lot a lot of sharp players I think do have kind of macro strategies like that. Like I mean, I guess in NFL showdown, one example would be I always leave salary on the table in the large field stuff. I'm never playing, I'm never using my full salary, mm-hmm. even though you could. There are ways to do it. I'm just using the macro strategy of I'm going to leave salary on the table and hope that this is a slate where all the expensive guys don't go off. Right. Or you could, you could do a macro strategy in the NFL showdown of uh, never pairing your uh, wide receiver captain with a quarterback. Yeah. And go, there's, yeah. There's, there are plenty of times where you don't need the quarterback, you know, and just saying I, I'm building in too much duplication because people do correlate that type of thing. And I choose that. I mean, these are like, I consider these like the micro of the macro, yeah. right? Not a, just a general, like Brian was talking about much more, much more macro, macro stuff. Right, right. But there is a micro. Like- he, he doesn't actually do what he. So he he said uh, he thought about doing the use a one percent owned guy in every lineup. But then when I followed up, he said, "Oh, I, it's not actually something that I've done yet." So that's that's not an example of something that he has actually been doing so far. Um, I don't know if he gave any concrete examples, but uh, I think that it is. Yeah, generally right. you're taking the approach of you're not trying to make the lineups that are the most likely to win on this slate. You, you take the same approach in certain sense, every slate and benefit long-term. Right. Yeah. Like, like for instance, it's, 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 uh, 
a macro strategy in MMA would be like, always play double the field of the opponent of the highest stone fighter for leverage. Sure. Right. And yep. you don't have to like, is that correct exploitatively on every slate? Not necessarily depending on the lineup, right. but it's one of these D de- it's one of those default things. So like I say in MLB, a lot of times on Roto grinders is like my favorite slates are hot are when high owned. There are high owned SP twos, SP two types, like the seven K guy that is is not the greatest pitcher, but he's still underpriced and he ends up being thirty six percent owned. It's like I'm going to play a lot of stacks against that guy. Not, I'm not necessarily going to be playing a lot of stacks against aces, SP one ace types. But yeah. I love when mediocre pitchers are high owned in MLB when because the pitching just sucks on that slate, yeah. and that happens to be the best out of the bunch. Happens like, a lot, too. right? So, like my default strategy is to. Well, I don't care what the team is. I don't even care what their prices are. I don't care what the projections are. Just that if I make sure to allocate, yeah, if I'm playing 100 lineups, I'm not playing all 100 like that, but I know that I'm allocating 20 lineups or something. There's some select group of lineups that ju- that, that the whole purpose is to gain leverage off of high-owned starting pitchers, right? And then you may have a certain percentage of your allocation that you're dedicating to uh completely over play two cheap pitcher you know hot overpriced teams type of like you just go from the perspective of here are the construction types on any 10 plus game slate that are drastically not played right in combination and then just go how many of these types of lineups do i want it's like i want to play some of these i'm gonna play, i want to make sure on every slate to find a sub 7k pitcher to play Right, because on average, if you just plot it out for the entire season, there's enough time compared to the ownership, it's the largest amount of leverage to get a seven K pitcher that puts up twenty five plus points. Yep. That I don't know what pitcher that's gonna be, but I'm gonna take all the sub seven K pitchers and say I want a full I want one of them in all my lineups. Or so if if you just did that, like that's that's kind of what Brian was saying. It's like finding that macro strategy that is plus EV. Yep. And going, I don't care what happens on this single slate. I know that if I do this 180 times, I'm probably going to profit. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really sharp approach. I've thought about doing that fade, the the highest owned pitcher. I mean, not, yeah. But then again, for me, it's always because I play exploitatively. I never want to just full fade the highest owned pitcher on every slate because sometimes the highest owned pitcher, according to like the Osmo top pitchers tool, is under owned. So I, I, I can't really take that kind of a stand on that. But that's right. something that I've, but, I've but, thought about doing it. If anything, you you would say instead of the highest owned pitcher, you'd say the most over owned pitcher. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like Which I have. Like that. I, I've tried that for Srectas and just got completely obliterated trying it. Of course, there was a really small sample size. I probably should have kept kept doing it over time. Um, that, that's but yeah, but you have to understand it's high variance. Like that's I think oh, yeah. that yeah, the know. thing that that we need to harp on so much, especially when you talk to to, to Brian, is that he is, and that's why he has the, the emotional bankroll podcast. Is that playing? that high variance, your swings are going to be massive. You're going to go on massive losing streaks. Yep. And you may also go, at three, you, you could win three out of four weeks in a row and have 100K binks in a 300K yeah. binks in one month and then go an right. entire year without seeing nothing. Like, yeah. that's what that's what that is. You're, yep. Do you have to go to that extreme? No, but it's that, that's much better than playing GPPs too conservatively. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just making plus EV lineups long term is going to be profitable. Yeah, so so one thing that I have changed or that I have maybe started to change a little bit with my MLB process this year, and now I'm questioning it a little bit. Although I, I actually don't know if I've changed it as much as I think I have. I've been sort of coming around to the idea of pitchers sometimes, even though they show negative leverage in the top pitchers tool. Sometimes, you know, well, if a top pitcher, so, so I'm talking about the Osmo top pitcher tool. So sometimes it'll be like uh, an example recently was I think Brandon Woodruff was coming in at 50% owned and he was uh, only 30% likely to be a top two pitcher on DraftKings. And I've sort of, uh, and, and usually I'll kind of look at that. And what I do is I just set one cap for most, for basically all of my pitchers on DraftKings. And then sometimes I'll change one or two pitchers individually when I think they're outliers. But typically I kind of use the top pitchers tool to figure out where do I want to set my cap on pitchers. Uh, and then this year I've been sort of talked out of that a little bit because I'm thinking like, well, what if Brandon Woodruff only has a 30% chance of being one of the top two pitchers, but you know he's still very likely to put up 22 fantasy points and he's going to be close enough. And is that really going to hurt you to have him in your lineups? Um, so I uh, have been sort of tinkering with the idea of increasing my uh, the amount that I allow myself to have various pitchers. But then I'm like, it worked pretty well last year, though, setting, setting those kinds of caps. Um, just an idea that I'm struggling with is where do I want to set that cap? And should I be maybe tinkering with more individual pitcher exposures, like going in and for, for each individual pitcher, deciding what kind of exposures I want more in line with like the top pitchers tool. Um, that's uh, something that I'm struggling with currently. Um, not, not really related to a macro strategy necessarily, but uh, just an, just something I'm struggling with. Well, well I think the main, the main issue there is understanding what top two means. And I think a lot, a lot of people eat, even in sports like NFL showdown or MMA about optimal, right. right? We see slates that the optimal isn't, no one has it. Right. So like on the top pitchers, tool, you go, okay, Brandon Woodgers have a, has a 30% chance of being one of the top two raw point pitchers on the slate. Yeah. Right. But there are also, there are other pitchers on the bottom that are, have a four, 4% chance. A right. 2% chance. It's like, well, if the 4% and 2% chance pitchers who are both like sub 1% owned put up 28 and 26 points and Woodruff puts up 24, he's not a top two pitcher. No, he, he misses right. the top two pitcher. But the winning lineup in the GPP will probably still have Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, exactly. Because no one who has both the sub one, who has both the two 1% owned starting pitchers. It's quite possible that the winning lineup doesn't have either of those pitch. I mean, the top two yeah. pitchers on the slate, no one, like Woodruff at 30% and whatever the, some other guy at 14% put up 20. Woodruff yeah. put up 24. There are two other pitchers that were very low owned that put up more than 24, but no one has that combination or they have that combination, but they have a stack that didn't get there. Or like there's so few amount of lineups that have, that combinations of pitcher that even though Brandon Woodruff has missed the top two still ends up being in the winning GPP lineup. So right. like there's a big difference, especially in baseball, uh, basketball, not so much basketball. We're more likely to see the top lineup be close to the op, the winning GPP lineup be close to the optimal baseball right. is very hard because one, 
It's going to be one-offs. Right. It's going to be a ton of one-offs, and good luck getting that correct. Uh, and, and secondly, a lot of them are going to be low-owned, right? You're going to have a lineup that has a total on, lineup ownership of 48, right? right? And the optimal lineup scores 242 points in baseball. The winning GPP lineup is 190. Right. Right? So it's like, do you do you care as much of the opt the chances of being optimal or the chances of being in the winning lineup? Because yeah, they are exactly. related, but they really aren't the same thing. Because and we'll we'll see these conversations on Twitter. Like you also post the the chances of it being the, the you know sometimes on an NFL slate, like yeah. your 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 estimated, you know, joke calculations. Yeah. Uh when like someone in basketball being like 88% owned in in uh in a large field GPP, right? It's a 4K guy that should be 6500 based on the injuries. It's Jordan Wara or you know some bullshit like that. And uh he's 3800, he puts up 24 points, which is is fine for 3800 but not like not rocking the house like you don't need Jordan Mora, right? But he's most likely going to be in the winning lineup. Why is right. that? Because 88% of the lineups have Jordan Mora in it. I mean, like, yeah. like, yeah, if he scored eight points, probably not. But he scored enough points that just by the sheer amount of lineups that have him in it, that that's going to do. He's not going to be in the optimal lineup. Unless it completely duds, in which case one of those 12% might find its way. Right. But, I, that, that, but that's what I'm saying. The difference between... The winning lineup and the optimal lineup, yeah, yeah, are different. But you're looking at the, you know, in the top stacks or the top pitcher or the top, you know, like those all assume not a winning GPP lineup, but the best possible lineup, you know, right. that you could make. Which but- is why I'm, I, which is why I'm usually not that restrictive, and I guess why I don't set hard caps on individual pitcher exposures because that would be like where do you set them obviously i'm not going to put it right at their top two percentage odds because that's just silly and i don't know you're going to make some really bad lineups if you do that but uh so so i'm usually not that restrictive but i usually i I do find that it might be helpful to set some kind of a cap that's lower than the ownership of the highest owned pitcher on most slates it's obviously very slate dependent uh just because then it forces all those other pitchers that have you know, 1%, 5% ownership, but have, you know, much higher percent odds of being either the top two pitcher or top two value pitcher it forces up their ownership, which I think can be helpful just to get a little bit different. But uh, I, I go back and forth about whether I should be less restrictive or just keep it, you know, coming in a little bit under whatever the, keeping my cap a little bit under whatever the uh, highest owned pitcher is typically is, is usually where it ends up being, uh, which forces up the ownership on the other pitchers. But um, I don't know. It's it's a it's something that I'm struggling with, and it's probably I'm only struggling with it this year because I haven't had the success that I had last year. So now I'm like I need to be. I'm, I'm trying to tinker. I'm trying to think what could I be doing differently to to make up for these differences. And ultimately, it comes down to I just haven't won a tournament. <laughs> you know, I'm still I'm still. Well, don't you have a couple up. of top fives or something? Yeah, I have, I have several top tens at this point. Uh, just zero first place, which makes all the difference in the world, and it's very frustrating. That's what happened to me last year. Last year, I had seventeen top twenties and eight top tens, and I lost money in MLB last last season. Yeah, because I had a second, and then a bunch of fifth, sixth, seventh, eighths. Yeah, like up there, and then that's just it. Just it's simple, and I'm not even playing one fifty. Right, and that's still not an, and it's still not enough. 
Yeah, when you're playing 150, you definitely need to be winning tournaments from time to time. And right. I mean, I I don't know if you saw last week. I got third place uh, behind two lineups that were maybe maybe marginally stacked. I shouldn't say unstacked because he actually did have the lineups did have four giants in it and three giants in the second one or, or vice versa. So they they were they did end up being stacked, uh, but just just not very large stacks. So it kind of felt like uh, it was. They, were they, they were single bullets? Lineup. Were they just single bullet guys? No, they were they were uh, both from the same 150 maxer. Oh, okay. So it just yeah. so happened to yeah, just, just so, worked out I, that I, way. I, yeah, just just so happened that uh, on this slate, having having giants in your lineups uh, made made some sense, and um, they they ended up being stacked because they the, the giants projected so well. So just just a brutal way to when you you know you only get so many shots per year, you know, or, or per month on on the first place lineup and. Uh, not not a fun. Yeah, but I, w- I wouldn't be as 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 annoyed, I guess, if they were like uh, on a one fifty max or if there were two single bullets. Yeah, then it's the type of thing is like if Joe Schmo just did, decided not to play today, fifteen minutes before the slate started or whatever. Like those types of pe- those types of people, I'm not. You never get oh, mad. Yeah, yeah, those are the true. people that fill the fill the contest. I that I want those people to play. It's just that true. Like if it's someone, if, if a 150 max or beat you in some weird way like that, you'd be like, well, this is the guy that's playing every day. Like, like yeah. there was no chance of him not playing those lineups other than their process or whatever, but some right. solo, you know, recreational single bullet first and second place with just like eight one offs are like, right. Like, any other day, this person today. could have just easily not played today. Right. 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 Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, it's 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 frustrating, but he's this is also a, a winning player, a guy who's won a lot of GPPs, so uh, clearly has some idea what he's doing. Um, it's just frustrating. But who that, was you it? Know, it uh, Jordan Lockhart. Are you familiar? Uh, he's, oh, Locks, he's an optimal guy. Locks two eighty two. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Maybe two sixty two. There's 262 Cowboys. I want to say Cowboys two eighty two, Locks two sixty two, but I'm not I'm not sure if that's right. Right. And maybe that's the score between them. Between. Maybe, maybe. Right, yeah. it's a, a seven overtime game. Yeah, yeah. So oh. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not saying anything. Uh, I'm not trying to say anything negative about uh, this user. I'm just saying it's, it's frustrating to see that the that kind of lineup ends up on top of me because it's rare that you see lineups that have you know three three batter three batters from one lineup is, is the biggest stack. You don't see that winning on a large slate very often. So yeah, but sometimes uh, it does. Yeah, it works out sometimes, and it works right. out. Happened to work out uh, on on this slate where I was near the top, had a shot. Another th- another thing that Brian was talking about on on your latest episode that I agree I I use as a teaching tool, uh, and a lot of it is in the the theory of DFS course and and the pregame show is using exaggeration to understand a concept. Or to prove a prove a theory, right? Because if you could exaggerate it, like like his example in MMA was like, if I just go nuts and try to make 150 unique lineups, no matter how I make it, like, and then run it out and seeing like, what's my expected value of these lineups? And then you could always scale it back, right? You go, you sure. go absolutely nuts, right? In MLB, you go like, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna x out the five highest owned teams and the five highest owned pitchers. I'm gonna play all one percent owned, whatever. Like you'll learn the concept of leverage, right? You'll learn why ownership matters. Do you have to go to that extent? No. Now you're getting into the range of your projection so low that you're probably negative EV. 
but at least you understand that concept. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like, well, what if I just jam in the 150 best projected lineups into a contest? Then you'll learn the value of like, oh, why aren't I winning? It's like, well, you have no leverage and no correlation in your lineups. It's like right. you learn the value of projection because you're min cashing a lot, but you're not really you're not really getting up there because you're sharing too many points with yeah. your opponents. So like thinking of concepts in those terms. So like in MMA for like the whole, the unique aspect. And then I was, I, I was experimenting, like proving the concept, exaggerating it to the extent of, let's say uh, there's a, sl on slates where no underdog wins, what, what's the value of a unique lineup? And I saw that the value of a unique lineup is very low. Because it's very hard to have a unique lineup because most of the fa lineups that spend most of their salary, that's those are the best lineups. Of course, they're duplicated too, a lot too much. But yeah. the lineups that are unique, like the separation between them, it's like you you're much you're much better off. If I told you on this next next week's MMA card that no underdog will win, right? That basically the highest the 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 highest scoring underdog is going to be in the optimal lineup. What I would do is not play. Right. Well, yes, you'd be bet you'd be better off not playing. But if I knew that and no one else did, you'd be better off playing lineups that are duped 10, 15 or 20 times. Yeah. Right. Maybe not 90. Right. Maybe not like that. But you'd actually show if you constrain yourself to the lineups that had the highest win probability for their lowest duplication, you'd actually come out ahead. You'd actually be profitable. You just have to weed out the really duplicated lineups and you also have to weed yeah. out all the under fives. All Like you can't have any because they have no shot. Once you have two underdogs in your lineup, you're dead, right? So you I can't mean, have more yeah. than one underdog in your lineup. How many combinations are there? Find the lowest. You Like I did that and I'm like, hmm, that's the exaggerated version of that. And then you have the other side of the spectrum of what happens if you jam in six underdogs, Right. And all you played were underdogs. You just removed all the favorites from the slate. Now your unique percentage starts going up, but your yep. win probability, like, like, yes, you'll have 150 unique lineups, but the likelihood of you actually winning solo is actually extremely low, Yeah. right? It's, it, it, it's very, very, very rare just based on the odds and just even if you look at the past data, if you want to go by actual results, but that's a small sample size, that that the sixth optimal fight, like to get the nut lineup, is going to be six underdogs. But a lot of people make those, but if you go through, you'll see people that make six underdog lineups. They may start with the 8K fighter, right? The 8K fighter, the seven, they may not be with the lowest underdog, but they'll play the six highest priced underdogs in one lineup. And, and that lineup may be unique. But its its likelihood of winning is actually way way lower than that. So on the extreme example, you, there's a value for that. There's a there if there's an extreme example on one side of there's a value in being unique, there has to be on the extreme side a value of having the highest win probability, yeah. right? Of just the fighters winning and putting up enough points, even if you're duplicated. So sure, there's so somewhere in the middle where that, that that's that that balance exists to give you a portfolio of lineups that mesh them together. But the only way for, for me to, to prove that to some extent is by going to the extremes. Yeah. 
right? Like in, on the DFS pregame show, a lot of times when people, especially newer players, and this is what we teach in the theory of DFS course, is like the value of ownership. Because a lot of a lot of newer players may go, I, oh, who's going to do well today? What do I... Why do I care about how owned someone is? Or like, I don't, I, I, who cares as long as I'm picking the right players? And I said, okay, right. let's say you're playing a 10 person contest. That is uh that is a winner take all for first place. It's a dollar contest, $10 winner take all. And uh, all nine of your opponents are playing the same lineup. So they're playing. So every, every player in, in and you're playing a lineup that is the same exact lineup and one pivot. So basically, you're playing a lineup with a with seven a hundred percent owned players and one ten percent owned player, and all of your opponents are playing a hundred all hundred and one ninety percent owned player. So it's like okay, so what what are the what are the what are the what are the probabilities? What are the win conditions? Okay, so if if your ten percent owned player scores anything more than the 90% owned player you win you win 10 bucks you 10x if they don't you get you get nothing if you play this if you played if 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 someone else played the 10% owned player and you played the 90% owned player you know how much you win 11 cents cuz you'll split first place 9 times right and a dollar 11 or something like that so it said so what is the value of you playing the 10% on player versus the 90% on player. Well, that this is an extreme example of how sharing points is bad, right? Yep. And then what you would do, the second part of that exaggerated example is going, okay, well, now we have it exaggerated down to just one player. So one is 90% owned, one is 10% owned. So if we ran this uh, 10 times and the 90% on player beat the 10% on player nine times and you beat it one time, the value you playing the 10% on player breaks even, right? Cause it's nine to one, right? I mean, it's just as simple as that. So it's like, so based on your projected range of outcomes for that, for the two players, does one player beat out the other player more than nine times to one, right? So one play, oh, well, this player projects for, uh, it's basketball or something. This player projects for 38, and this one projects for 32. How do I sacrifice six points for that lower ownership? It's like, because it's 90 to 10, and that, and obviously in this exaggerated example, we know all the other information, and that's the right. only thing that's different. It's like, well, based on their range of outcomes, even six points in median, one player should not be ten, uh, nine times more than the other player. Yeah. That the other player may beat out your player twice, three times as often, maybe even. But if that's the case, you still profit by con by continually playing that player. So if that matters in that extreme example, you can't say that it doesn't matter in some nuanced example of well, this right. lineup is like this. Like that, the hard part is taking that extreme, that exaggeration, and then adding so many other variables to it and go. Like how much is the value of this worth versus the value of that versus the value of this. But for people that like just bypass ownership as even a thought, as far as how, how, what the expected value of a lineup is now, obviously if you're built, if you're building lineups and you're, you're not, you're not like, I'm not basing my decisions based on ownership, but your lineups expected value. They know that it's that that's a factor, 
right? When yep. Travis Petty says, like, I don't look at ownership for basketball, he he does he he knows that ownership matters a lot in basketball. He just knows that his process is so much different than the field that he's gonna be naturally contrarian. Like he right. he knows his lineups are gonna be low enough owned without having to look and make sure that it's low enough. Need to make yeah. Right. So but he's it's not like he's saying ownership doesn't matter. It's just that he gets no. the effect of that. Regardless, but to to disavow the effect of ownership, like that that's that's just stupid. I mean, that's yeah, right. You're missing the point of DFS, right? Yeah. But but in order to to uh, explain concepts and prove concepts and prove theories, I think using a simple exaggerated version of any little problem that you have to prove it is a good starting point. Because, yeah. like Brian says. Once you get to the two extremes and you really understand what the effects of this, then you could start adding and go, well, what happens if I, what happens if two guys were 50% on in that 10 man field? What happens right. if this and what happens? And then you start seeing the effects of duplication and the effects of ownership. And you go, oh, now conceptually, I understand that when uh when a basketball player has a 38, uh, per, you know, 38 point projection at, 18% ownership and another player as a little bit cheaper has a 35 point projection at 8% ownership. You go like, well, they are a little cheaper, but they are a little lower projected, but the ownership doesn't see, it seems like that 8% on guys really should be 11 or 12% in comparison to the 17% on guy. And then you start seeing right. it's like, maybe this guy is under-owned. Maybe this guy is over-owned. And you may not be exact on these numbers because you're not running simulations or anything. But once you understand the extremes, then it's like, I think you could be much more directionally accurate in your approach of just being able to look, to being able to look at a slate and go, yeah, this seems a little too, I look at these projections and this seems a little too high owned here this looks a little low owned there like you're it's much easier to see you may not know the one to two percent differences but you start seeing that like why is why on a on a 10 game slate is is this you know is is damian lillard stefki have all the you have five guards and two are like 22 percent owned and one is like six percent owned because of a perceived bad matchup right and you go yeah he's four points lower projected but like why couldn't he yeah. score 70 today? I mean, like just, you yeah, just exactly. look at that and you go that gap between the two players really doesn't warrant that ownership difference. Yeah. I, I, I think these are, I agree with you that these uh, using extreme teaching me mechanisms is uh, really helpful. I think that's something that uh, Brian Hooper actually does on his DFS videos as well, which I, I talked about a little bit when he was uh, on my stream that he, he does a good job also of using those examples uh, as teaching mechanisms, just using kind of extreme examples, uh, the same kind of approach that you use, which I think are definitely really helpful in teaching. Um, before we move on, I, I really want to uh, talk about golf a little bit with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> did, did you did you play did you play any PGA no, this week? No. All right. So I see your I line. Think... I actually brought up the results DB for your your. You did you just play 115 to the drive the green? I played 150 in that, and then there was also a $5 contest that I also played 150. Okay, so you didn't um, even put that much money. I mean, that's what? 750 with Drive the Green was a $5 contest, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay, so it's not like you put in. You didn't play the four, the uh, the forty-four, forty-four, right? The four thousand. No, no, yeah. contest. No. I didn't do anything like that. Uh, I'm I'm just curious if you have a, a take on the wave stack and if you've been paying attention to uh, what happened with you know there were some people took very hard stances. I know like Big T for example played 150 lineups that were all the AM PM waves, so he he took advantage of the. Um, the waves there. So there was uh, supposed to be kind of extreme weather that would affect the PM-AM group more than the AM-PM group. So some people took a hard stance of playing only the AM-PM golfers and completely eliminating the PM-AM golfers from their player pool, um, which I didn't do at all. So I, I played it fairly straight. Um, and just because I, I knew, you know, it's, it's obviously it's going to be in their in, in golfers' projections. Uh, the it's going to factor in their it's going to factor in the weather in their projections. So I largely played it straight. Um, it turned out that the weather did have a pretty big effect in terms of six of six rate. So I think uh, apparently the uh, the AM PM golfers played with like a two two stroke advantage according to skyhook dfs so they ended up doing much better overall the ampm golfers uh and the six of six cut rates for the AM, people who stacked the ampm uh were, were much higher so if you played all six of your golfers from the ampm groups you had a much higher six of six rate than those of us who played it straight uh and i just from a from a game theory perspective i've been going back and forth on whether it was the right move uh even though those lineups ended up falling off because uh the uh, i think justin thomas was actually from the reverse wave he was from the pmam group so the the guy who won was from that group and i think there were a couple others who did well ultimately from that group um so i i don't know initially i thought well i don't really care about you know, the, the goal isn't to go six of six. The goal is to win the tournament. So, you know, if you just, just getting six of six isn't six of six isn't something really to victory lap, in my opinion. Um, but then also looking at, you know, I, I saw Skyhook DFS posted numbers that it was only like eight or nine percent of people in the big milli had uh, full stacks of the AM PM wave. So. I don't know. I, I've gone. I don't, back I don't know what, what's the, what's the optimal rate of that. I mean, the problem with asking me is that I don't know what that correlation is. I mean, I don't know. I don't like that's not something that I I don't know what what is the efficient frequency of those types of lineups. I don't know. But to me, eight percent of the field doing that doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, it right? seems so. I mean, just think of it in this. There's uh, you're either playing six, five, four, three one or zero from the AMPM stack, right? So it would be uh, whatever. Let me see if I can find what the... So it seems like it's under-owned, actually, uh, just based on my simple math there. I mean, wouldn't you expect zero, one, two, three, four, five, six? So whatever, 100 divided by seven. How many, totally how many golfers were there in the field? Oh, that's a good point, too. Yeah, right. I'm assuming... a even split yeah um, but how many golfers total i don't know remember i, I didn't play either. i don't know 154 yeah. i mean how many were in the in the field i have no idea okay well you'll need that number i mean obviously yeah. and my, my simple math is not correct but i'm saying 92 percent right. of the lineups didn't do that so like to me yeah. that number at least to me this is i don't know what the correct i don't know doesn't lead me to be like Remember, like, I'm more likely to do what the field isn't doing, right, yeah. in high-variant situations. But to me, 8% of the field doing something is not like, oh, 
if I hear everyone's doing wave, uh, uh, weather wave stacking, like I feel like oh, I'm not going to do it. But when yeah, they say that, that everyone, like if seventy percent of people, like that's that would that one would be worthwhile. But when ninety two percent of people aren't caring about the weather anyway, to me, how much is the correlation worth? I don't know. Like that, like what what, what I would have done is I don't know because I don't know what the the correlation. It's very similar what you say about six out of six is an MMA. Like I looked at like for instance the Pereira's Ponzinibbio fight, I'd. Uh, the per the Pereira Ponzinibbio and the Martinez Vince Morales fights I was low on both sides of of the fight because those are the fights that projected to go the distance and neither of them were going to be wrestling and I'm like the the can I find a winner here absolutely can I find 100 plus points here not as much not as often of the time so a lot of people right. were playing Michelle Pereira. Like he was like 33% owned. And I'm sitting there going like, I guess a win at 8,200 is is worth something. But a, a likely win outcome for him that without a KO is like 60, 70 points, 75 points. So it's like, oh, well, I got Michelle Pereira and Jung Young Park at 78. And I got, uh, I got, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, but you're not going to win first in large feet, like, yeah, you may prioritize that type of score for a small, in the 555, you could get away. You 555, I'm, I'm much more likely to prioritize win probability than in the large field contest. Like, I'm much more likely to, like, like I, I'll, I'll play a lineup with, like, one big underdog, maybe, and then the rest is, like, I don't, I don't need a million points. Like, I don't mind playing playing the $9,100 guy that may not have the best upside, but if he gives me 90 and I get the one 8% underdog that crushes, it's like I could win the 555. I mean, with five, as long as I get five more, that low price underdog that wins, give me five winners. And that that six out of six winner lineup, I could win 20K in the 555 with that, right? But in the large field stuff, like why the, why the fuck am I... Why do, I, why do I care about getting six winners? Like, yeah, six winners will cash. Like, it's very rare that six winners does not get, get you at least 1.5x on a lineup, right? A lot of times five winners does, right? A lot of not, times not five winners cashes you in anything, right? Yeah. Sometimes if it's a high, if it, the chalk fails, some of the chalk fails and four, four high scoring winners and two losers, you could, people have, I, I mean, the, 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 like what a couple of months ago, I came in second in the 555 with a lineup that had two losers in it, right? So it's like yeah. it's possible for that, but the win, the large field, you ain't you ain't doing that, right? I mean, like, so so to me, this type this type of this type of question about like six, a lot of I've seen people on Twitter say your goal your goal in 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 PGA DFS is to just get six golfers through the cut. And then worry about it later. But I don't, I think for large field, that's not, that's not. I think that might be the case for. on weeks where, you know, 4% of lineups make six out of six. So I think that it's more the case when very few lineups actually get six to six through, then, you know, you're probably 
good enough just getting through the six of six cut. Whereas this week it was like twenty five percent of lineups were. Yeah, six yeah. Of six. So who cares? Well, people people are victory lapping six out of sixes when it's twenty five percent six out of six. That's what yeah, was happening. I mean, I mean yeah, th- there was a, there was a lot of talk after after the cut about percentages of six of six, and to me, it mattered less this week because. So, so many, many people, people had it, a quarter of the field. And then, and then my assumption, my assumption was that a lot of people were going to have very similar six of sixes because the weather split did actually work out so well in the favor of people who played those lineups that they would have a lot of similar lineups. It turned out that I, I guess there were fewer people than I thought who actually were playing the complete weather wave just based on on Skyhook's numbers. So, so then I, I kind of went back and was like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe that actually was, you know, a plus EV approach to just get those, you know, to, to focus on the splits and worry about it later. But I don't know. I, I go back and forth because uh, ultimately those lineups did not win um, because you just kind of needed one of the other one golfer from the other split to, to break in. Um, so I don't know. It was I, it was a good approach to get six of six through for sure. Uh, I'm not sure that it was plus EV for actually winning the tournament. And it obviously didn't work out this time, but could have. Yeah, 156 players were in the field. So I'm looking at the okay. 2022 PGA Championship week 79 after cut. At 25, okay. I mean, I'm assuming a lot of the chalk. I mean, I'm looking at results DB. I mean, other than Cantlay, Scheffler, Norin, I'm assuming those are, and Matt and Hideki. I'm assuming those are the people that uh, people were tilting over. Yeah, oh yeah. Major tilt, a lot of those. But, uh, but it looks like uh, Rory, Cameron Smith did fine. Uh, Will, Will Zalatoris. Yep. Justin Thomas was 17% down who won. Right. Cameron Young, uh, 13% down with 86.5. I mean, just seems like, uh, like if you avoid, if you played a chalky lineup, but still avoided Cantlay, Hideki, Scheffler, and Norin, like you had a high own. That's why the 20, that's why the six out of six percentage right. was so high. Yeah. So to me, that's not Mito Pereira. Obviously, he, he, you know, he blew it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, you'll yeah. see more. You'll see when the six out of six percentage is like five percent or below. I'll see a lot of red here in results DB of right of you know players the highest on players and then just in the top one percent of lineups. Damp, damp, red, red, red. Yeah. So, I was just curious if, if if you had given it much thought, just because there had been a lot of discussion of, you know, six of six versus you know win equity. Uh, on uh, Twitter. If, I if anything, maybe. if this is a smaller field, now obviously it's 156 golfers, so it's a little bit different. Uh, the fir- my first thought would be on combinations, because imagine imagine I, I'm I'm going to the extremes. Remember extreme teaching mechanisms. Right, go to the extreme. Let's say this was a, a, a uh, one of these invitational no cut events with twenty golfers. Right, let's just go all the way down to twenty. Good. And ten were going off in the AM one wave, and ten were in the other wave, and you have to roster six golfers. How many combinations of ten golfers? Because you're automatically saying I don't want any of these ten. So anyone that makes just wave one or wave two has to pick six golfers at certain salaries out of 10. Yep. 
How many combinations is that? If you tell me 8% of the field of 142,000 entries, like, dude, I could tell you that those lineups are going to be duplicated a hell of a lot. I mean, just going to be way too duplicated because people are actively doing it and saying 8% of the field is going to be only playing six out of a certain 10, the exact 10. And maybe some of those combinations can exist salary-wise even. Right now, obviously, once you extend it to, you know, there being 75, 78 or whatever, that is a little bit different. But maybe if you go by the 8% of that and you go like this and you go, what are the most popular combinations now that you could get rid of one side of one wave and go, well, people are playing AMPM. What are the six highest owned golfers in this wave? Can you fit them together or whatever? And what are the combinations? And maybe you don't play that because I look at these these dupes. I mean, it's 156 golfers. The, the one lineup was duped, well, 163 times by 14 users. So I'm assuming someone had like a train or something in. Yeah. But I mean, I see some lineups, uh, 35, 34, and this is ones where there's not a train. There's one that's duped 50 times by one user. So that's just CSV problem or just like, I'm just taking my cash lineup and just jamming it in 50 yep. times. I'm talking about ones that aren't that. So you have 35, 34, 30, 29, 26, 25, 24, 23, 22. I mean, like, like, dude, how do you get those lines? Like, I don't even, I mean, I don't even think of dupes in that. And then we also go to the, the 44, the, the, the mega millionaire, 630 entries. There was a dupe of five, a dupe of five, a dupe of four, a dupe of two, 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 two. Like, dude, how, like, how do you have that? How do you have that many dupes in a 630 person field? Like, like, dude, that's so like in a 630 person field to have a lineup duped at all is absurdly negative EV. I mean, just once, let alone four or five times that obviously these are like, these are like cash. I'm looking at them and like, I could tell based on the average ownership that these are like lineups that you'd play in double ups. Yeah. Right. So like, but that was, that would have been my first thought when you, when you said the AMP and like my first thought comes into, well, now you're automatically telling me that a certain percentage of the field is going to be playing this wave or whatever like that. Well, which will may also reduce combinations of a mix of the two, maybe three, three lineups. Maybe you purposely, if you knew, now that's why I said 8% doesn't seem like a lot to me. But if you tell yeah. me, let's say extreme, we'll go to the extreme teaching mechanisms. You tell me 95% of the field is playing one wave or the other wave. I'll be playing like none of it. Like I would be playing, I would play lineups actually that are 3-3, three, three, more likely than 5-1 because the combination of those five will be in more lineups because people are playing five out of six, five out of yeah. six, but to find three out of three combinations, like, like now I have way more combination. Now I can, I can play the three chalkiest guys from one wave and the three chalkiest guys from the other wave. And then that lineup would actually be under owned because 95% of the field is playing six from one and six from the other. Right. So that's, that's how, what I would have done or what the correlations matter. I don't know, but that's how I would think about the problem at least. And whether yeah. or not you need that in 156 golfer field i don't know i'm assuming a lot of they, they have invitations and 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 there's probably 40 golfers on the bottom that don't play them right it's just like the masters type of thing where 
You're not playing Fred Couples, right? You're not playing. You're not playing VJ Singh. Like, these guys are not winning the Masters, right? Right. So you can eliminate some of the some of the guys, but still, there's enough golfers that I'm not sure you need to do that type of thing. But I think that's how I would think about the problem, at least. Yeah. No, it's. Me too. I mean, we kind of came to the same conclusion that I was like, well, if other people are going to be forcing in these full stacks, I'm not going to do that just because it's probably going to be overowned. But then I looked and saw the 8% and I was like, okay, it didn't actually end up as overowned as I thought it was going to be. So maybe, so I, I do you, do you know the I, percent I, in the, in the, in the, in the mega millionaire? It was higher. I know that, uh, I could look up Skyhook's tweet, right, uh, but it was, I want to say it was like entries. 20 25 percent or something in the mega oh okay yeah that there i would have i would have definitely yeah if you would have told me that 25 percent of entries in the in the mega millionaire were waves i'd say it was actually 30 percent 29.52 percent yeah yeah i would i would have easily i would have easily not i would have easily done at i would i actually would have probably made groups and i said here's here's 70 golfers in one group seven and no more than four Right, I don't mind a four-two lineup, but not a five-one because then I'm sharing, right? And most probably, if you're playing the Mega Millionaire six thirty, you're not playing one percent owned golfers, or you're probably eliminating most. Of, you know, you're playing maybe a, a group of thirty golfers, you know, something like that. And I'd separate it. Be like, I'd rather not be one v ones off of people that are doing waves. I'd rather be a two v two at or three v three. Yep. And just yeah, if 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 you tell me thirty percent of people are doing that. Seems that's why probably you're getting this duplication. Yeah. I'm assuming some of these dupes are those were the six of the best nine golfers from one of the way from the, it's probably the wave that included, uh, Rory. Yeah, I believe so. Right. Cause I mean, I'm seeing the line, the most, the most dupe lineup was Rory, Spieth, Xander, Cameron Young, Munoz, and Mito Pereira. I'm assuming whatever, because I see most of these lineups are Rory lineups. So whatever yeah. wave Rory was in, I think I think Rory was in the good good wave, the the AM PM where it was right. slightly better weather. Yeah, I, so I, I brought this question to you, having not really done much research into it myself. Just kind of had been thinking about it a little bit, just based on the the conversation on Twitter. But I don't even know if it's an even split between AM PM. If it is like a fifty percent in the AM versus 50% in the PM is kind of where people draw that line. I don't even I don't even know the answer Did, to that. Uh, were were people doing wave splits like that or was there a definitive like one wave was projected to be much better and people or people did both just in case the weather changed. No, it it was projected to be much better. I think that the the PM AM was supposed to be the worst weather. So it was supposed to be like wind gusts up to 50 miles per hour in the afternoon on Thursday. And then I think continuing into Friday morning and then kind of dying down. So it was sort of extreme weather conditions for the PM AM golfers, which led some people to being like, well, I'm just going to not play those golfers at all. I'm just going to play the golfers from the, you know, the non-weather groups. Um, yeah, but, but I, a lot I of times, know. I mean, I like I said, I have not played golf PJ DFS in a long time. Doesn't a lot of times if the weather gets bad enough, they just, they don't even play. Yeah. They, they delay it. Isn't it, isn't there, aren't there a, a, enough times where like the, the good wave goes off and they're decent. And then the bad wave, they just suspend play till tomorrow and yeah. then end up getting better weather. Like actually get I've better weather than once. their original wave. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't play a ton. I, I've, I'm pretty new to PGA DFS too, but I, I have seen that at least one of the time, one week that I've been playing. And I would imagine it's, it's fairly common. And I saw some harping on that saying, you know, they should have delayed this. Why are they not delaying this right now with the wind on Thursday? So, or sometimes yeah, the weather changes. Sometimes the wave that everyone thinks is good. Well, the rain, the, right. the weather comes in early or the weather is late. Right. It's like, yeah. oh, it's going to be it's going to be awful. It's like it's not going to be raining much, but there's going to be 18 mile an hour winds and some 25 mile an hour gusts at uh, at six in the morning. And then the the so don't play the morning guys. And then you find out that that it's like, oh, it's six in the morning. and It's only like seven mile an hour winds because that storm, that line was is a, got a little bit slower and moved a little bit this way. And then next thing you know, it's noon and there's 18 mile an hour wind and the wave that you're like, I want to avoid the morning. Now the afternoon is the one that's the bad wave. Hard to predict weather. Yeah. That, that's another reason not to, not to believe into, uh, to, not to play full from one wave because you never really know what's going to happen. And sometimes, but sometimes you'd be right. I, maybe yeah. the macro strategy, maybe it's the type of thing you'd, I, you'd have to back test it. I have no idea. Maybe yeah. the macro strategy is to always play waves. Maybe, maybe over the course of 48 yeah, weeks of golf, right? Yeah. In 48 weeks of golf, there's going to be two or three tournaments where the differential in strokes between the waves is so is dramatic enough that the, the winners and everyone that, that is atop of the leaderboard ends up coming from one side that yep. you don't know when it's going to be. And you, even though the weather forecast could be fine, you have no idea how things could make you don't you you basically take out that whole thing of of you're just gonna do the same thing every slate and you know it's plus EV over time. And also just because there's no be... weather, you by chance six guys from one side could win. I mean, it's not like like, oh my god, if there's no weather, I have no chance. It's like it's still, if everyone has good weather, who says that just by chance one side has the top six or whatever? Uh I wonder if it would be more plus EV of a macro strategy to always play the lower owned wave to just like jam in the lower owned every time, regardless of weather and just hope for hope for the best might be the more plus EV macro strategy. Or you do, but no, no. What I'm saying is that you do both. Okay. Like you play 150 lineups and you specifically play 75 from one wave and 75 from the other. Like you just, okay. like you net basically if a golfer's going out in the afternoon, he's, n- he's never going to be in a lineup with a morning golfer. Right, it's only afternoon golfers, only morning golfers. You do seventy-five of each, and you just do that literally every every slate, even on the slate where it's like, no, this wave is going to be dust. It's like, nope, I'm just doing seventy-five one side, seventy. You never know, right? And oh, there's going to be no wind and no weather. There's nothing going. Well, I'm still doing seventy-five one side, seventy-five the like, like if you just did that all the time, would that prove to be plus EV? I don't know. I don't know either. Might be really long term plus EV. Might take a while to realize. Well, I, I it, it would be something that I that if you if you were doing golf, I would I would I would grab all the the DK data and and see and just I just yeah just run it and even simulate if you want to simulate. But I I would just look at the past. It's similar to what I did with MMA. Just give me all of the past all everything the DK MMA has ever had. And let me compare that to all the historical betting lines and let me see where it comes out. And once I start looking at all of that stuff, very simply and plotted, and I go, okay, these are the most correlative. This is what I should be looking at. And then just like 
I have my sheet. I'm doing this. Th- it's the same way. Every, every slight tweak in here or whatever. So it's like, I don't have to, like, I don't have to worry about like, well, what do you think of that guy? It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. But this guy, uh, he got food poisoning two days ago. It doesn't matter. Did the line move? No. So I guess no one else cares about it either. So don't, what do I care? Right. I think you, I think maybe you could do that in golf, but that's, but that's how I would analyze that. Like, how yeah. often, how correlated are waves to each? Like, but it's the very same thing as before. The independent of weather. So, like, just go back and go, like, fantasy scoring correlation between golfers in the same afternoon or morning. And how often are they paired in the win- in the, the top 0.1% of lineups? And you have enough slates. You probably have 300... 350 slate. I mean, PGA golf on, 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 on DraftKings has been around for what, seven, eight years at least. Right. So you have, you know, three, three, 300 to 400 slates. That's enough for me. That's enough for me to look and go, what are the chances that no matter what, you don't know what the weather was and just just do that. Just five. How many six zeros? How many five ones? How many four twos? And just go, is is this is this something that if I did this the entire time, would I get enough lineups in the top point one percent of a contest like drive to the green? Right. And then you could also do it for the smaller field stuff and go, because you don't have to be perfect then, right? So maybe the the top zero the top one percent lineups in the in a in a five hundred person contest, like three threes come out often enough that you should play three of each or six zero or something. I don't know. Just to me, this is not an exact, like you would obviously need context, but from the extreme methodology, you just, you're just trying to find if, if you would do this one thing all the time, like, will it be, will it be plus EV? If you're playing rock, paper, scissors, and you know, someone is throwing, uh, you know, uh, paper, like 90% of the time, you just throw scissors a hundred percent of the time. It's like, well, how about the ten percent of the time that you don't know? It's like, just doesn't matter. Just keep on throwing scissors. He's gonna yeah. throw paper enough. Don't worry about the rock, right? That's what. That's really all you're all you're looking at when it comes to this. Yep. Good example. Okay, so Neil, uh, every everyone has been saying I'm I'm going away for eight days, and I'll be back. So no DFS in Nevada, nor would I want to play while I'm out there. Uh, Everyone has been t- saying on Twitter to you or in a podcast that that a bink is coming. Apparently, you're due. Yeah. I sure hope so. <laughs> Appreciate the encouragement. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. I feel like we started this podcast and I had like 200k binks in our first three episodes or something like that. It was like coming off 100k binks when we talked, and then it's been nothing since then. It's just been brutal since then. Yeah, but that's very similar to Eric when I when uh, doing the podcast with Eric. A lot, a uh, I, we started the podcast and that like three, two, three weeks in, I came off of my, a 50 K bank and Eric was playing the, like the $1,500 single entry and losing every week. Right. Yeah. And then losing. And then finally like that, like week 16, you got like $130,000. Like, like, right. like he beat me by far. It's like, like the, the common theme was, is that, that like, Oh, I, I made a little bit of money. Oh, I banked. And Eric's like, Nope. Missed, nope, missed, nope, missed. And then by the end of the season, he made way more than me, right? Because that yeah. 
Eric also plays, plays much smaller volume than I do, much lower volume than I do, so he can afford to go a little bit longer without a bank. No, probably. Well, maybe not. Actually, yeah, yeah, because he doesn't play every day. He plays, you know, on NFL Sundays. He plays probably about the same as much as me, but he doesn't play day to day. I don't think. Does he right. play MLB day to day? I'm, I'm, I'm no, no, he'll, no. He'll play NBA. He plays NBA day to day. Okay, so maybe maybe he actually he like, plays the same. His whole, but he plays the high state. He plays. He'll play three lineups into the seven seventy seven or something. Yeah, so we we might end up actually spending close to a, the same amount in terms of a dollar dollar amount. Right, and in NFL he'll probably put in maybe three thousand or something, four thousand. I mean, he's playing like three lineups or something. Yeah, and you're you're Typically playing seven million lineups for yeah, right, like eight to twenty bucks a piece. Yeah. Yep. Very but uh, I'd I'd offered you encouragement, but who knows what's going to happen. Right? More realistic. Appreciate well, because that. there's no there's no such thing as do. There's no such thing right, as right. opt. There's True. no like like prior like oh well based on a large sample size, based on your play being plus EV, you should expect to win X X amount of the time. Right. That's over that's over like seventeen lifetimes. So like right. like you could win three times in one month. You could you could not win for three years. Right. And that would be somewhere within some type of one standard deviation or whatever. So for me to say, oh, you haven't won in five months. You can, it's coming soon. It's like, well, yeah. there's no, there's no way to know. There's no, there's no, there's no way to know that the, the, the DFS gods don't, don't like your lineups and the contests don't know that you haven't won in five months. Right. So it has to even out today. Right. It, it, it doesn't know the players don't know. Yeah. Who you roster, who you're rostering today. Maybe we should go tell them. What starting pitcher know, yeah. we have to tweet at to say, Neil has not won in a in a couple of months. You have to do really well at two percent. Please throw strikeouts. Yeah, right. Can you just please try to throw a couple of more strikeouts? Because I'm going to get you at two percent on. Yeah, you think that'll work? Yeah, probably. Yeah, so try it out. No harm not to. Exactly. Maybe I will. At player Q DFS on Twitter. High stakes DFS podcast comes out every every Friday. On, on YouTube, on iTunes, on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you're going to start, I, I know you're going to start running out of guests. At some point, I'm, I'm going to start. I, I've got guests lined up for the next two, maybe three weeks, at least tentatively. Mm. Um, so I'm doing okay for now. But yeah, at some point, there's not that many, you know, high volume, high stakes players out there. Not many DFS pros. And then there's fewer, as you know, who actually want to, to come on podcasts. Right. So uh at some point, yeah. At some all, point, all, 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 all everyone should know is that uh, when I'm a guest on that podcast, that means you you ran you ran out of guests, <laughs> yeah. right? You kind of like I I don't got anyone, so I, I've I already don't. almost no. I I really want to have you on as a guest, and, and people have requested flipping the script and having you on as my guest. So I think it would be fun, and I've thought about uh, calling you and seeing if you were available uh, one of these past few weeks. But uh, uh, but I'm tip- I typically to, am. I mean, that's why because I, I said- want to save you. Part, right. part well, of that's the reason why I said, like, like, save, well, save me for a time easy. where you could just like, I got nothing. And are you good tomorrow? Like that's uh, typically yeah. I'm that type of person. Right. That's the Even, reason I've waited. I've waited. Right. On you. Yeah. Just like David, I was on the take cast and David blatantly said, yeah, my, the guest that was supposed to be on this week canceled. And like, it's basically like me, Brian Hooper, Pete and whatever, like, and, and Pat Mayo who are like, like, I know that if I could, I, the day before you're most likely available at, the middle of the afternoon for an hour or so, like, 
So yeah. whatever. That that's what it is. I mean, I'm I, dude, I I was the same way when Eric, right? When I like, oh, Eric can't yeah. make it this week. Uh who could uh and then who am I going to? Like is 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 Josh Engelman available? I mean, I'm just I'm thinking of people that this is what they do for a living to some extent. Content like who's available in the middle of the afternoon on a random Tuesday or something. Uncomfortable. You know, they've got the setup, you know, they're comfortable right. speaking in front of a camera. Yeah. Right. I've seen the right. And someone that, you know, that has, it's ugly. I, I know they have a microphone and right. A lot of times it's, it's sometimes the tech thing where you yep. see like, Oh, why are the same people, the guests on different shows? It's like, well, cause we know that, that, you know, we're not dealing with uh, people that have bad connections and they're on yeah. their phone and the audio quality is bad. So we kind of kind of know what's going yeah. on. But if you have if you have any uh, uh, recommendations for guests for uh, for this for this show, you could always tweet me at Blender HD or uh, uh, email Jordan at theory of DFS dot com. I'm going to try to mix in some people in between weeks and whatever. And then uh, once we get the football season, we'll be every week. Because at least there'll be something to go to go over with, or pe- maybe people are tired of our our MMA duplication talks every maybe. two weeks. It might be. It's yeah. It's a, it's a complicated topic, but I think you know that's kind of the audience that has maybe uh, come in for this. I think there are enough people interested in MMA, and that seems it seems like there are enough people that are really into the MMA duplication talks. That's worth talking about. Well, I, I want this. I want the. I want the contest to get bigger. The problem is I want them to be more duped. So I'm yeah. kind of I'm kind of doing a disservice. I'm like getting people, yes, you should play this. And then yeah. and I should be saying you should play this and then play the most duplicated lineups. Right. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about these concepts, the extreme teaching mechanisms, you can get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.